This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. On the surface, the mark of the beast seems obvious, but what does it mean on the parable level? Joe Kovacs explains the deeper spiritual connections between John's vision in the book of the Revelation and the behavior of man when our thoughts are not aligned with the higher thoughts of the Almighty. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Well, Shabbat Shalom, Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Thank you for joining us this week. We are on the cusp of Shavuot. Shavuot is this Sunday. Uh, this is when the Holy Spirit was poured out on those at the temple who were gathered for prayer. If you want to know more about that, you can read it in the Chronological Gospels. And uh, that's why they were gathering at the temple. It was for Shavuot. It was a commemoration of what had happened at Mount Sinai. And you can read all about this in event number 254 in the Chronological Gospels right there. And you can also learn about it on our Shavuot page at arudeawakening.tv slash Shavuot. Lots of good information there too. Now, this is also the anniversary of when Yeshua proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord. As we see noted again in the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. There you go right there. And uh, you can see this in event number 52 in the Chronological Gospels as well. So let's talk about it with the Ambassador Club coordinator, Angie Clark, welcome. Shabbat Shalom, Scott. Shabbat Shalom. Now, we were talking uh, about this uh, before we came on about uh, Shavuot and what it commemorates. So right. they were gathered at the house, some uh, some Bibles tell us, uh, the, the, the apostles right, were gathered right, right. at the house, but that's the house of prayer. That's what, it was just kind of like a nickname for the temple. Let's, mm -hmm. let's go to the house, the house right. of God. So that's where they were gathered. It wasn't that there was this 120 believers crammed in this little townhouse or something. Uh, that's <laughs> Michael has debunked that. If you've never seen right, videos right. about that, you need to go go online and see this because it's just, that's not what it was. So it makes a lot more sense that they were at the temple. That's where the Holy Spirit showed up with tongues of fire. And you brought up the fact that that's not the first time fire showed up on Shavuot. Right, so, right. The ahead. first time was on Mount Sinai when he was given the instruction. And I Whenever I read scripture, I try to put myself in that time mm -hmm. frame. And I just can't imagine, this had never been seen before. Right. Nothing like this had ever been done. And I just can't imagine the fear that was in them. You know, like, what is this? I don't want any part of it. You know, I'm scared. Am I going to die? Right. You know, whatever. But, but he gave them two months to prepare. Yes. First, there was the redemption. Mm -hmm. Then there was uh, the the second month, which I love the second month. Uh, just there's one part that um, um, Yehovah told Moses to take the branch, touch the bitter waters, and it will become sweet. Mm. This was there. This was in the three days that they had no food or water, right? Mm -hmm. And so, what in my mind, what that did was that gave them time to see the bitterness in their heart, and ah. so. And That's so good. he said, take the take the the branch, strike the up, touch the water with it, it'll become sweet. Mm. And so I think that was a time of transitioning into to be able to receive what was gonna happen at Mount Sinai. Yes. You know. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And they had seen Jehovah's power before when he destroyed all of Egypt's right. gods they one by and, one. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, so that was But this was the first time though in 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 uh uh, the second month that he showed himself, he gave himself uh, names like mm. I am Yehovah Rapha, I'm your healer. Yehovah Yira, I'm your provider. So mm. he started telling them more about himself to get them ready for what was about to happen at Mount Sinai. Right, and then that's when the fire came down on Mount Sinai. And in yeah. fact, we have a rock here at the uh, at the ministry right. from Mount right. Sinai that is, it shows evidence of that day. It really does. It Amazing. is not two different types of rock. You can look at it. It is burnt. burnt. It is burnt, and it burnt on one side because you flip it over and it's not burnt. Right. And you can actually rub it with your fingers. I had somebody here the other day taking a tour and I said, try it. And they rubbed it and they smelled it and they were like, 
Their right. mouths dropped. They were like, what is that? Even the pictures that there's yes. this part on the bottom that is not burnt and then just at the top yep. is burnt. I mm-hmm. mean, it's yep. evidence. Yes, and we're going to be having a series uh, very soon with Ryan Morrow. And uh, he is actually taking tours over there. We're going to talk more about nice. that in that series. But yeah, yeah. but yeah, that is evidence where when he talks about that place, you're like, oh yeah, this this is a given now. This is the real Mount Sinai. There can be no question. Right. And uh, that's where yeah, Yehovah brought down his commandments. But that, but that's interesting. So let's get back to the fire. So he brought down his commandments in fire. And then what happened to the people at Shavuot? In the book of Acts, well, it was, again, fire, fire coming down from him, heaven and splitting off and going above everyone's head. Right. And some folks say that that's very much like probably what happened at the original Shavuot, right? So fire came down, and then everyone heard in their own language right. the commandments. Right. And then Amazing. what happens after at Shavuot uh, or at Pentecost um, at the temple is now they start prophesying in all these different languages. Yes. It is the same event on the same day. Just thousands of years later. Thousands, yeah, it was on the anniversary of that event. Yehovah does the same thing. It's the promise that Yeshua gave before he left. Mm-hmm. He said, Terry here, just wait, just hold on. I'm sending you a gift. Yep, it's amazing. Yeah, Yep. And beautiful. It is beautiful. Another beautiful thing before we go, we only have about two minutes left, but I wanted to share this. Uh, this is event number 52 in the Chronological Gospels. This is where uh, Yeshua proclaims the acceptable year of the Lord. This also happened. Uh, this was on the uh, 13th day of the month, uh, 27 CE. So this was on the Shabbat where he goes into the synagogue and proclaims the acceptable year mm. of Yehovah. Mm-hmm. And it literally is a year. That's where, I mean, we need to pay attention to this event because this is where the time clock starts. And it's a year from that time wow. that Yeshua was, uh, well, the time that he was baptized, rather, till the time that uh, he, he uh, baptizes his followers with the oh, Holy wow. Spirit. okay. Yeah, so that, now this is the acceptable year of Yehovah, and he talks about it in the synagogue. And what's amazing about this is that Yeshua broke two rules at that, well, two Pharisee rules. He didn't right. break the Torah. Right, 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 the oral law. The oral, yeah, they, they have this tradition where you're supposed to read three three verses. Well, you'll see, in, and I won't read it all, but you can go to event number 52 in the Chronological Gospels and read about this, where he stopped in the middle and he, sh- he shut the book or shut the Torah scroll and sat down. Everybody's like, what? Well, I, what just happened? I love him. Yeah, and then- <laughs> Such a rebel. And then he, basically he proceeds to tell them that, oh, and by the way, Gentiles are gonna get it before you do. Wow. Yeah, and then, the, well, no wonder they took him out and they said basically they wanted to kill him. Right. And then he just sort of disappears in the crowd and where'd he go? I mean, he just sort of like escapes and away they go. Love so it. that was the, <laughs> the acceptable year of Yehovah. And that uh, is really something that, that uh, solidifies what Michael says that Yeshua's, Ministry was 70 weeks, and I totally, I, I think that's absolutely I think, right. I think it's right, yeah. too. Now, what's in front of us here, Andy? It is a love gift, but we're not going to talk about it right now. Uh, this is just a love gift that we'd like to give to you for supporting this ministry. Um, it's a gift of $50 or $100 to get both of these things, or for a gift of $300, we'll give you everything you're seeing here. And we're going to let the commercial do the talking. But uh, for now, Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank and you, I'd Scott. love to have you. Can you just stay for like the rest of the month? Can we have you here Absolutely. at every Shabbat? It'd be my honor. Okay, great. We have folks asking, saying, where's Angie? So, okay, she's going to be here for the next couple of weeks, folks. So, great. Thanks for sticking with us. Thank you. All right. So, on the surface, the mark of the beast seems obvious, but what does it mean on the parable level? Joe Kovacs is coming up with Godspeed, episode three. So, don't go anywhere. Most believers, at one point or another, attempt to decipher the book of the Revelation. But without context, it's difficult to understand. This month, Michael Rood wants to give you a teaching that will make your Bible come alive and reveal the fascinating end-time truth of Yeshua's victory against the enemy of his people. What really is going to happen is there's going to be an epic battle when Yeshua comes. He's going to fight against an individual named Gog, the beast, Antichrist, the little horn, son of perdition, they're all the same thing. Dr. Douglas Hamp helps to unravel one of the most misunderstood events of the end times, Gog and Magog. This teaching is an exclusive thank you gift for your support of A Root Awakening International. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you Gog and Magog with Dr. Douglas Hamp on DVD or Blu-ray. Or donate $100 and we'll send you Gog and Magog I'm Michael Rood, and this is my pillow. Plus, Michael Rood's favorite pillow, featuring the name of Yehovah, scanned from the Aleppo Codex. 
Or donate $300 and we'll send you Gog and Magog with Dr. Douglas Hamp. Michael Rood's favorite pillow featuring the name of Yehovah. Plus, these elegant crystal salt and pepper shakers featuring scenes from Jerusalem and the words Shabbat Kodesh in Hebrew. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. These special gift collections featuring the Gog and Magog teaching from Dr. Douglas Hamp are available only in June and supplies are limited. Call to make your donation today and receive these exclusive thank you gifts. Call 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. The Chronological Gospels Bible is changing lives all over the world, putting everything the Messiah did in exact chronological order and explaining the behind-the-scenes truth of what the Messiah did, when He did it, and why. The timing of it all means everything. And now, the Chronological Gospels can be easier on your eyes. The larger print edition features 40% larger type, and every page appears exactly the same as the original, so you can follow along with others who have the regular size version. The Chronological Gospels Larger Print Edition also has wider margins to write notes, and the premium quality paper means you can highlight without soaking through. Plus, the Larger Print Edition lies flat, so you can teach without having to hold the book open. The Chronological Gospels Larger Print Edition is a big and beautiful coffee table book, measuring a full 12 inches tall and 9 inches wide. Study the Bible with clarity and ease. I love the size of this book. This is 9 by 12. The paper is, is perfect because it doesn't bleed through when I write on it. I can mark it up, and I always make notes in all my Bibles. Everything is the same place as it is on the smaller version, and I can just stand back and I can teach from it, and it's just, it's the perfect size. I pray thee, of whom speaks this prophet? Order the Chronological Gospels Larger Print Edition by phone or online. You'll get 40% larger type than the original. Call 800-788-7887. That's 800-788-7887 or get the Chronological Gospels Bible Larger Print Edition online at arudawakening.tv slash large. Some of the traditions in modern-day Judaism are what Yeshua said are takanot, laws which change biblical law, which are forbidden, and Yeshua said don't do them. But other traditions are remembrances of good things in the past, and they are a shadow picture of good things to happen in the future. On the Sabbath, we take two hollow loaves, two loaves of bread. This represents the manna, the double portion that we received on the sixth day. This was God's provision for us. And this is what it continues to mean to us today. When Yeshua... Just before his crucifixion, the night before his crucifixion, at the last supper that he had with his disciples, he took bread and he blessed, not the bread, he blessed the Most High. And he said, Baruch Atah, Yehovah, Elohim Melech HaOlam, Hamotzi Lechem, Min Haaretz. And he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, remember this, by his stripes, we were healed. And then he took the cup and he said, in the prayer of Melchizedek to Abraham, Baruch atah Yahweh, Elohim melech ha'alam, Borei Puri Hagafen. Blessed are you, Yahweh, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said this, what you have been doing for a thousand years from the time of Abraham, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood. This is how I will pay for the broken covenant. I will pay the death penalty and do this until I come.
If you watched our Passover event this year, you saw a man named Dr. Tom Lokensgard, a good friend of mine, he's a holistic dentist. We talked about how the bacteria in your mouth can actually be an indication of the health of your blood and the health of your entire body. And uh, Joe Kovacs, welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. Thank you. You have something to say about that as well. So dental toxins, you told me something very interesting I didn't realize. Uh, tell us what you told me. Well, I was at the dentist uh, a while back and I was explaining the reaching Godspeed concept to my dentist. Uh, because he's very interested uh, in it. And I was saying how God's presence is in everything, that the scriptures are the template, if you want to think of it that way, the unseen template for everything that happens in life. And I was giving him some examples from our physical world. And he said, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, here's a simple example. The bacteria in your mouth is generally not that harmful when it's exposed to the light. So mm -hmm. in the presence of light, which as we know is the presence of God, that it's, it's not so harmful. However, it's when the bacteria is in the deep, dark recesses of your mouth where there is no light present, that's when it actually transforms into a very toxic and sometimes lethal bacteria mm. because it's in the darkness. Now think of that on the spiritual level. When we're in the presence of light, it, there's no harm to us because light represents God, as you know. But the darkness represents wickedness. It represents the flesh. It represents death. Death is darkness. We're in the body of death, as Paul calls it. We're, we're not in our body of light yet. We're meant to be children of the light and children of the day. But right now, we're in our fleshly bodies of darkness. We're all darkness. When the Bible talks about darkness and the night and the valley of the shadow of death, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the flesh. We're in the flesh now. We're all, you know, you can touch our flesh, look at our flesh. But this is darkness. We're not like a bright star in the sky that uh, God has described as. So, hmm. yes, the, the toxins or the uh, bacteria becomes uh, toxic when it goes into the dark places. So we have to mm. keep our minds out of the dark places. Interesting, a mold grows the same way, I guess, too, right? And when we think of, uh, mold grows in the darkness, but even when we're thinking of uh, how to get rid of bacteria, like you mentioned, we'll use UV light, right, in a swimming pool. Sometimes they, they filter the water through a UV light, and again, that light destroys the bacteria that would cause darkness otherwise. It's just amazing how consistent the message of the Bible is yeah. that light equals goodness and darkness equals badness. So. Yeah. And that's all in your book, Reaching God's Speed, which is where we're getting all this from. So it's a great book. You can get it at reachinggodspeed.com. And one of the other concepts in there was about just normal life activities. Uh, you mentioned something in here about uh, even just asking a person about their name. Uh, there, there's something there we need to pay attention to. Right, who are you? We all want to know who we are, our identity. Uh, and if somebody asks you, what's your name, mm -hmm. or who are you, uh, you would say, I am Scott. Yep. I would say, I am Joe. It's a very simple thing, and everybody in the audience can insert their own name there. But the point is that when you say your own identity, you are saying God's name first, because you are saying, I am whatever your name is, I am Joe. You're saying God's name first because mm. God has used that phrase, I am, to identify himself. He says it uh, in Exodus, I am who I am. This is what you are to say. I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Exodus 3, 14, and 15. So it's a memorial for how we remember God because mm. you're saying it every time you say your name. Your own identity is already attached to God. And not only is it attached to God now, we're going to, once we're resurrected from the dead and become members of God's family forever, we're going to have God's name on us forever. Jesus says mm. that. I'm going to put right on them the name of my God, and I'm going to give them my name and my Father's name. Mm. Because that's, we're going to become, it's another way of saying that we're going to become on the divine level as children of God. Hmm. And when we change our names uh, for, for marriage purposes, there's something in there too, isn't there? Absolutely. You know, women change their name all the time when they get married, and you might wonder, well, how did this start? God started it because he is broadcasting the end from the beginning. We, I cannot overstate this scripture enough. Isaiah 46.10, God says he's declaring the end from the beginning. He's telling you the conclusion of the story right from the start. And the conclusion of our story is that we, 
the bride of Christ, if you want to think of it that way, the wife of God, as Revelation calls us, we are going to be married to God. And so we are going to change our name from human beings here in the flesh to the very family name of God. We, that's when the name change comes. That's why brides mm. change their name to the family name of their husband. You, God is our husband. He says in the Old Testament, I am your husband. I am married unto you. All these phrases are in the Old Testament. And again, they're previewing the very famous marriage, the most important marriage, because we are the spouse of God. So we get a name change from human beings to God beings. Mm. It says in the Old Testament, Psalm 82, I said, you are gods. That phrase is in the Bible. You are Elohim. Because he's telling us the end right now. One of the commandments also, speaking of what's in the Bible, is uh, we shall not take the name, uh, talking about marriage, in vain. But you have a different twist on that uh, that's equal and opposite and a lot better. Well, it is one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And most people generally understand that to be, well, you shouldn't use God's name in anger or, or somehow malign the name of God. But it's actually a promise. Again, it's declaring the end right now from the start of our lives, from the beginning, because we're going to be taking God's name and not in vain, not in worthlessness. We're going to be taking it mm. for our prosperity, which is eternal glory, eternal life in the God family. So when it says... You shall not take the name in vain. It's a promise for the future. You're not going to be taking God's name for worthlessness. In vanity, you're going to be taking it for eternal glory as an immortal member of his family. For, for success, is For success, yeah. exactly. Which is what Godspeed, when you have Godspeed as one word, I have it as two, just <laughs> to differentiate. But if the, the word Godspeed itself means for success, a successful journey. When you wish somebody Godspeed, mm. my friend, you're telling them, have a safe and prosperous journey. So this journey of uh, learning about Godspeed will get us to the, the singular word Godspeed of, of, pros of prosperity. I don't know how many people think about that because you think of the word goodbye as well. Have a goodbye. That's what yes. you're saying, a good, good journey or exactly. a good going of your way. Huh, interesting. Now, let's get into something that's not so positive, the beast. <laughs> we hear of the beast in Revelation, uh, and we think of uh, automatically the devil, evil, everything bad, the beast, the beast. What is the beast? There's all kinds of mystery behind the beast. Nobody can seem to figure out. Everyone has conjecture about what the beast is. But again, just like everything in Godspeed, you see this as a very childlike way, simple way of looking at something, and I think we can find it very refreshing. So tell us, what is the beast? You're right. A lot of people tense up in fear and anxiety when they hear the term beast, but there's no reason to fear it. And when, when I explain it, you'll understand why. First of all, we shouldn't fear anything as believers in, in Jesus. The Bible tells us, 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love dries out drives out fear, or casts out fear, depending on your translation, because fear involves punishment, so the one who fears is not complete in love. So having said that, we're just going to dive right into this and see what the Bible says about the beast. Here are some famous Bible verses that may be, may be familiar, may, may not be, because some are quite obscure, but here's Psalm 49.12. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. Hmm. Here's Habakkuk 1.14. You have made mankind like the fish of the sea. Here's Ezekiel 34.31. You are my flock. You are men. John 21.15. Feed my lambs. We mentioned that before. Feed my sheep. Here is Isaiah 41.14 or I'm sorry, Luke 10, 3, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Here's Isaiah 41, 14, do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. Here is uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 9, for the law of Moses says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us. And Psalm 49.20 says, A man who is in honor yet does not understand is like the beasts that perish. Hmm. Are you picking up on a theme here that the beasts are mankind? It says it outright. A man is like the beasts, and we're like the fish, and we're flock and lambs. Samson's wife is called a cow, a heifer. 
Because human beings, even though we're in the image of God and look like God and have eyes and hands and all that, we're in the form of a beast, in the body of a mm. beast. We have flesh and blood just like the beast. It's especially referring to mankind in rebellion against God. If we're in rebellion against God, we're going to stay in the flesh, in mm. this burning place, in this Sodom and Egypt that we're in. So we are the beast. It's, it's, mm. it, it's that simple. I mean, we call... Not, it's just not in the Bible. It's in regular conversation. People are called beasts all the time. Our sports teams are called lions and tigers and bears. Mm. Oh my. So this even, <laughs> this even refers to then when we're talking about Revelation and the beast that we think is Satan or some creature or maybe one particular person is actually all of us? We, we are the beast? If anything, anyone in rebellion against God, whether it's a government which is made up of mankind or an individual person, that is the beast. We can see more proof when we talk about the number of the beast, mm. which is found in Revelation 13, 18. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Well, right at the start of this verse, it tells us that wisdom is needed here. It's telling us to make the jump to God's speed, to mm. the spirit level, the parable level, the metaphor level, however you wish to say it. We have to connect the dots from the rest of the Bible, and it tells us outright the number of the beast is the number of man, mm. the number of any person, the number of mankind in general. So it's not hard, especially when you see all the other examples that I mentioned uh, moment, uh, moments ago about humankind being uh, resembling beasts or being called outright beasts. Why is the number 666? Hmm. That's a fascinating question. Well, what day of the week was mankind made on? It was on the sixth day. The sixth day of the week. Mm -hmm. And we were told to do our work in how many days? Six days. Six days. So this is, not, um, hmm. this is not hard for people to understand. Everybody knows that mankind was made on the sixth day. Our, word was, our work was to be done in six days. So... It's repeated, though, three times, six and six and six. Why is it repeated? Because it's what I mentioned early on about Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's three days involved here, three times. If you're in rebellion against God in the past, the present, or in the future, you have the number of the beast, because six is the number of man in rebellion against God. It's as simple as that. It's not hard here. God is talking to kids like, like we're a bunch of dumb animals here because he calls us a bunch of dumb animals. And we even call each other animals all the time. We call each other scaredy cats sometimes or filthy dogs or you lying snake or something to that effect. Or different words for donkeys. Yes, that's a Bible term, by the way. You know, the, the Bible does, the King James Bible calls us a dumbass, or there is a character in the Bible called that at, at, at one point. But, but we, we are calling each other, sometimes war hawks, uh, or um, I mentioned silly rabbits, or lazy sloths. Mm. People, people call each other animals all the time, so it's, it's not a hard concept. Uh, and, you know, we see movies like, you know, Shrek a talking donkey, or Bambi. All mm. these animals are personified as people because we are the beasts mm. of Scripture. Now, the mark of the beast, too, has some meaning here that you've seen that maybe others don't. So what, tell us about that. Right. Some people think, oh, well, there's going to be a, a mark on our, our, our bodies, and there might be in, in the physical sense, but we're talking here on the higher spiritual parable level of God's speed. And let's look at Revelation 14, verses 9 and 10. It says, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand he will also drink of the wine of God's wrath. So it's mentioning specifically a mark on the forehead or hand. Well, what is a mark? It's a sign, it's an indicator of something. We all know what a forehead is, we all have one. I would think if you're watching this program, we all have a forehead. What goes on, what is supposed to go on uh, here in our forehead? It's what we think, is our thoughts are at the forefront of our mind. So that's what it symbolizes. When it mentions hand, what does our hand symbolize on the parable level? Our mm. hand represents what we do. We create things with our hands, we make things, we do actions with our hands. So the mark of the beast is nothing more than the indicator of what you're thinking and what you're doing. If you're on board with God, you don't have that mark. 
But if you're on board with rebellion against God, the mark of man, this body of the beast that we're all in, mm. that's the mark of the beast. You're either thinking against God somehow, or you are doing something. You're working against God's plan. And we see a lot of that all the time. You know, when they, when they silence people for speaking up for God, that's the mark of the beast right there. Mm. It's, it's not necessarily a literal physical mark on your body, though it could be at some point in, in the end time. Uh, however, you know, we see a lot of people being shut down and canceled on social media now. Oh, you mentioned this. You're not allowed to mention that. There's a lawmaker in Finland, Paivi Rosinen. I'm probably mispronouncing her name, but she actually went on trial recently because she took a photo of the Bible of a certain verse and put it on Twitter and they they tried her in Finland for hate speech. Hmm. So now just showing a verse out of the Bible is now considered hate speech. That's the mark of the beast for those people doing that to somebody who's just sharing God's word. She didn't even have a comment with it, I don't think. It was just a literal photo of, of, of a Bible verse that she put on Twitter, and then she went on trial for it because it's, it's a crime now to Goodness. share God's word. Now, speaking of that, uh, you also have, uh, as what you do as part of life here, a WND, WND.com, World Net Daily. Uh, tell us about that and what's happened to you, because I want to get other folks to know what's happened to you so they can support what you're doing. Well, there are forces in this world that you've probably heard of called Google and Facebook and some other uh, uh, media giants. Uh, they control a lot of advertising in the world. <laughs> and when people post the truth online, they don't like it, and they basically make you vanish off the internet. Mm -hmm. They throttle down your, your reach, your, uh, the amount of times you can be seen on the internet. For instance, if you put in an exact headline from one of our stories, it used to be found everywhere, uh, or even the subject matter used to be found everywhere on Google. You cannot find any mention of us anywhere. It's like we've been erased from existence mm -hmm. because uh, uh, Google doesn't like what we have to say because we broadcast the truth and they don't like the truth. So uh, it's happening not just to our company, but to a lot of people who broadcast the truth. It's just getting more difficult in our, in our modern times. Uh, you, you know, the book of Revelation talks about you can't buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast. So there might be a, a time coming where God's word won't be allowed anywhere. It might, it might be that this program itself is, is in danger because you're gonna, they're going to say, oh, well, this is hate speech because you're saying a certain message that we mm. don't agree with and, and therefore it's hate. When it's really the opposite, we're, we're trying to love the world and get everybody to eternal life because we love even our enemies. They don't love their enemies. They hate their enemies and want to cancel them out of existence. But we like to uh, love our enemies and try to bring them to the truth of God and, and get them eternal life, which is, that's the end game. That's what we're all destined for. That's our destiny. So where do people go to see your news story? Where, where should they go? Uh, WND.com. It's just three letters. It stands mm -hmm. for WorldNetDaily.com or WND.com. Mm -hmm. And they can see my work on a daily basis. Sometimes I write about the Bible. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's just the, the general news of the day, whether it's wars or, or politics, uh, mm. do a lot of different subjects, but it's, it's, it's just fascinating how to, see, how to see that the Bible is being, it's coming to life right in the book, like the book of Revelation is coming to life right now mm -hmm. in the news industry where you can't buy or sell unless you're singing the song, that number of the beast. Songs are numbers, as you know, you, mm -hmm. you know that number people uh, refer mm -hmm. to? Songs are numbers. So uh, unless you're singing the mark of the beast, it's, it's getting difficult to, uh, to get the message of truth out. Now, I understand somebody else on that website also endorsed your book, somebody, a name that a lot of folks might know, especially if they like martial arts. Yes, Chuck Norris, one of the great martial arts champions and uh, star of uh, numerous Hollywood movies and a television show, Walker, Texas Ranger. Chuck loves the book. He endorsed it uh, right there at the start of the book. And I did not have to fight him to do this. So <laughs> for everybody who, who thinks that... Um, uh, he pounded me into the ground. He did not. Chuck is an awesome guy, and uh, yeah, he's among uh, several people that uh, like the book. He says it's very inspirational, and it's a good uh, resource for people looking into the Bible, because I have hundreds of scriptures in reaching God's speed. This is not just something that I had in my back pocket that I wanted to talk about after, after all these years. I am relating everything in scripture uh, to everything that we experience in life. And, and the other way around. And mm. not only that, I take Bible stories that you already know, that you think you know, and take them to the higher level of the spirit level of God's speed. So mm. it, it's a fascinating adventure, and I'm, I'm thrilled that Chuck Norris 
who writes for WND, uh, is, is on board with Reaching Godspeed as well. That's just awesome. I love that. Okay, well, we're going to talk more after the break. So hang on a second, and you hang on a second, too. Thank you for bringing Joe our way. It's because of your donations that we can even have this show, and others will see it in the future if you donate now so that more folks can see it. So we ask that you would consider that, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Thank you. Thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live and for your support of Reaching God's Speed by Joe Kovacs, available at reachinggodspeed.com. It's as simple as that. And before the break, Joe, we were talking about uh, the beast, the number of the beast, and how uh, it's a, it could be a physical, well, it's both, right? There's the physical and spiritual uh, mark on the forehead, mark on the hand, whatever you think, however you do things, if you're either on God's side or man's side, and we talked about man's side, but God's side, uh, it's also in the book of Revelation as you are sealed on the forehead with the seal of God. So there's the proof of what we were just talking about, that you can either be on God's side or man's side. And uh, this brings to mind the, uh, when we're talking about a hand, I'm thinking of Yeshua, when he wrote in the dust with his finger, uh, there's something there, and I've always tried to figure out there's something greater here as to what's going on. So this is the story of the adulterous woman where, uh, well, I'll let you tell the story. So t tell us how this all relates to something Godspeed. Well, we're all pretty much familiar with the story of Jesus forgiving an adulterous woman. It's found in John chapter 8, and people can read it for themselves. But he forgives an adulterous woman, and at Godspeed, I think everybody can understand that we are the adulterous woman. We've all committed spiritual adultery against God through our sins, but he is willing to forgive us. However, there's this fascinating bit about Jesus stooping down into the ground and taking his finger and writing something in the dust of the earth, as the Bible mentions. And that story itself doesn't mention what words he's specifically writing in the dust. But when we connect the dots from other parts of the Bible, we can get an idea of what he's picturing. Keep in mind, Isaiah 46.10, he's declaring the end from the beginning. So, and um, he's only teaching in parables. Remember, uh, Matthew 13.34, Jesus is exclusively teaching in parables. So everything, in addition to his physical uh, uh, fulfillment or its physical actual occurrence. This woman did exist and he did forgive her sins and he did write in the ground. But what might he, he have been writing with his own finger? Well, the Bible does speak famously about Jesus writing something with his finger somewhere else mm -hmm. in the Bible. There's 10 of them. You've probably heard about them. <laughs> the Ten Commandments were written with the finger of God. That's right, so, too. So the law of God is written with the finger of God in, uh, in, in the Old Testament. Now, what does the dust of the earth represent? Why is he writing in the dust of the earth? We've talked about this already, but just to remind people, we are the dust of the earth. In our current form, we are literally made up of the dust of the ground. It says so in Genesis. The Bible is teaching us right from the beginning of the, of the book, Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, what things mean. So when it talks about the dust of the earth, the dust of the ground, it's talking about people. Now, we can actually connect this with other items in the Bible that suggest what Jesus might be writing. Jeremiah 31, 33, Jesus said that in the future, quote, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. Mm -hmm. So there he's mentioning specifically his law, the Ten Commandments, he's going to write it in people's hearts so that everyone won't have to say, know the Lord, because everybody's going to have to, everyone will know the Lord. He also says in Revelation 3.12, I will write on them the name of my God, and I will also write on them my new name. So again, it's declaring the end from the beginning mm. because once we have the laws of God written within us, within our hearts and our minds, written with the very finger of God, the law of God, we will want to obey him. Most people don't want to obey God right now because they don't have God's <laughs> laws written in their hearts. And the conclusion of the story of the adulterous woman is that when the accusers heard the message, they then dropped away, they vanished. Mm. Because when the accusers finally have the law of God written in their hearts and minds, they won't be accusers anymore. Ah. They're going to be on God's side finally because God's law is finally in their minds and hearts. So the accusers dropping out, they're vanishing, is a picture of what's going to happen in the future. Once you have God's law in you, written on your heart and mind, you're no longer accusing anyone. Huh, interesting. That's a great way of looking at it. Uh, when Yeshua was born, we have another uh, 
piece of symbolism to look at there as well. Now, some would argue that when, when Yeshua was born in a manger, uh, some people think of, of, of the trough, but then others say, well, no, it also means the sukkah, where Yeshua was born. And what do we do at Tabernacles when he was born? We dwell in the sukkah. Well, what are we going to do when we dwell in the sukkah? We also eat in the sukkah. And so whether you're eating in the sukkah or whether Yeshua was in the manger and that's where the animals ate, it all has the same meaning. And there's, there's something to be said here about the manger manger scene uh, and Godspeed, right? Correct. Uh, Luke 2.20, it, it says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So the shepherds are going to return, not just in the event in the past, the shepherds are going to return in the future because anyone who shepherds God's people is a teacher of God's people, and the shepherds are going to be resurrected, and the Bible talks about this in Jeremiah 3.15. Again, part of God's speed and getting up to the spirit level is connecting the dots from mm. all over the Bible. It's here a little, there a little, and you have to, and you have to put the pieces together to understand the, the big jigsaw puzzle that the Bible is. You know, the Bible doesn't tell you everything in one spot. Right. It makes, he's a good, God is a good author. He makes you read the entire book to be able to, to put the book together and uh, the book of Jeremiah says, I will give you shepherds. This is God talking. I will give you shepherds who are loyal to me, and they will shepherd you with knowledge and skill. Jeremiah 23, 3 and 4 says, I will raise up shepherds over them who will tend them. So these shepherds then reported the message they were told about this child in Luke 2, 17. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. So this is really mm. a prophecy for the future. God is going to raise up people from the grave to shepherd other people who didn't understand the message in the first round. And all they that heard, you got to finally hear the message of God mm. with your ears to hear, you're going to wonder at those things that were told. It's amazingly good news when you learn that you can live forever and not die. Everyone's afraid of death right now. That's why the world is in the state we're in. Everybody's panicking. Will I have enough food? Will I have enough uh, money to uh, pay my bills and all that kind of, because we're afraid of dying. But when you're not afraid of dying, that's where the victory comes because mm. You know, we have the victory has already been won by Christ. He's been raised from the dead, and he is just the captain of our salvation. He is the forerunner, so that we are going to be raised from the dead too. So, once the uh, shepherds return, they're going to broadcast the message to the world, just as they did two thousand years ago to the, all those physical people. Mm. We're going to do it again in the future. You mentioned in previous episodes about how we were. Uh, dust of the earth and clay and um, you know we mentioned also that you know the word Adam and Edom uh, the Edomites were from a place that had red clay in Israel that's why they're called the Edomites uh, so we, there's all this correlation between man and dust and the dust of the earth and clay and I'm thinking of uh, pottery when we think of that and one of the most famous stories in the Bible that has to do with pottery is when Yeshua turns water into wine uh, in the in the big uh, uh, water jars, water jars. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell us about that. This is a very famous story from the Bible. Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding on the third day. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that the mm. story actually starts off with the phrase, "On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee." Why does it happen to mention the third day? <laughs> because there's yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yesterday, today, forever. This is a Parable. This is an actual event, this wedding, but it is broadcasting the end of the story, mm -hmm. right from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We have to ask ourselves, what is the most famous or significant wedding uh, that's ever uh, taken place? And no, it wasn't Prince Charles to Lady Diana, and it wasn't uh, Kim Kardashian to Kanye West. The most, <laughs> the most important uh, wedding ever is God's marriage to us. Mm -hmm. We're called the bride of God, and the wife has prepared herself and made herself ready. Uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. So we are the bride of God. It takes place on the third day. It hasn't taken place in the past. It hasn't taken place mm. in the present. It happens on the third day, tomorrow, the next stage. It hasn't happened yet. Now, I think the most um, fun part of this uh, story is the fact that there are six containers, six large jars, and they're holding 20 to 30 gallons of water before they're turned into wine. Now, when we were talking about the number of the beast, it's the number of man, which happens to be six. God is mm. broadcasting the message that these jars represent 
mankind. And the water gets drawn out of the, of the vessel and it becomes instantly transformed into mm. something much more delicious and much more flavorful, something more perfected, if you will. Mm. Water into wine. What other famous instant transformation takes place when the water is drawn out of the vessel? That's our resurrection from the dead and we, mm. uh, the Spirit of God gets pulled out of us and we are no longer in this fleshly form again and we're going to be more perfected as eternal children of God. It's explained in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians about our, in the blink of an eye, is the instant transformation where uh, the body of man, the natural body, becomes the spirit body. So. And at that wedding, if I'm not mistaken, the steward said, well, this is the best wine. You saved the best for last. So it's not just some mediocre transformation we're going to have. This is the best of the best. Right. And I suppose water, uh, is this what we're getting at too? Is it, Jehovah gives us his spirit. The spirit is water. We see Correct. that correlation all over the Bible. Correct. But it's going to be transformed at the resurrection to something even better. Wow. In the blink of an eye. Love that. And that's in, how in blink, it, in, in, blink in the blink of an eye. eye. Yep. That is amazing. Now there's something, well, there's one other story that Yeshua did, uh, and, and there's all kinds of meaning as well to as to what the Pharisees were doing and saying, and Michael has a lot to say about this as well, but you see a, a, another perspective, not a different perspective, but it, it fills in more of the blanks from a different angle, and that is uh, when Yeshua healed the blind man by putting mud on his eyes. So show us what you're seeing from this. Well, as we've discussed, again, the Bible is very consistent in its uh, symbols and imagery. Mud is the dust of the earth. Mm -hmm. It represents the flesh. And, you know, Queen has a very famous song, uh, We Will Rock You. And in that song, they say, you got mud on your face and it's a big disgrace. <laughs> Maybe you don't know that song. But anyway. <laughs> I know the song. I'm, I'm trying to think of the lyric and what, 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 that, yeah, what that would mean. You got but. mud on your face. It's a big disgrace. <laughs> anyway, the... Um, yeah, the mud represents the flesh. And when we have flesh over our eyes, eyes can represent spirits in the Bible, as we have seen through uh, Revelation, uh, Revelation 5, 6, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of mm. God. And the eyes are, are where we see things. But when you have flesh over your eyes, as in the lusts of the flesh, the works of the flesh, and the New Testament gets into this uh, in quite detail about what, what those are. Uh, but we're not thinking about the Spirit of God, we're thinking about all the lusts of the flesh. You can't see properly. We're blinded by everything else, and mm. we, we see it in today's world. We're blinded by the, the jobs that we do and, and, and everything that we follow, except God, as we were talking about earlier. So the mud has to be washed off your spirit off your eyes so you can see properly mm. the the lusts of the flesh the works of the flesh have to be uh, washed off so you can see clearly and notice the guy wasn't healed instantly he was sent to the pool of Siloam which means sent so he was sent by God and when he obeyed the instruction of God mm. to wash the uh, the mud off his face the uh, the lust of the flesh off your eyes that's when he was healed so again everything is a parable not just uh, the parables that Jesus talked about, like the parable of the mustard seed or whatever, but Jesus is teaching through his actions, and we have to realize that there's more to the actual event than Jesus just healing a blind man. He is, there's a reason he put the mud on there, because we all have mud on our face. And eventually, as you know, we're going to get rid of the flesh. The flesh profits nothing, the Bible says, because mm. it's really worthless. It's just a temporary placekeeper for us <laughs> to keep uh, the spirit within us, but our spirit is meant to come out of the flesh and we are meant to become divine spirit children of God. Mm. Now, I'm, you bring something up about uh, the eyes. When we, I'm thinking of when we close our eyes and we go to bed at night, uh, we sleep and then we wake up and none of us think much about that, uh, but you see something beyond that. There, there's, there's a symbolism to sleeping and waking up. Again, God is declaring the end from the beginning, and the end of our story is a resurrection after we die. And the Bible associates many times, countless times, sleeping with death. In the Psalms, it says, I sleep the sleep of death. Jesus famously woke up his friend Lazarus from Sleeping, And in he, fact, the apostles thought he was saying he was sleeping. They, they got it confused. Exactly, and because people aren't listening with their ears to hear. Mm. That's why we have to turn on our spirit ears and our spirit eyes so we have eyes to see and ears to hear. He had to explain to them, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> but I'm using the word sleep because sleep at God's speed, at the spirit level, 
applies to death. Mm. So not only does sleeping mean death, there is the wake-up call. We all get a wake-up call in the morning, and when we go to sleep at night, we're pretty confident that we're going to wake up the next day because God is getting you in practice to understand that when we wake up, we're resurrected. Waking up equals resurrection. Jesus even said mm. in the Lazarus story, Lazarus is sleeping, but I'm going to wake him up. Mm. And what did he do? He went there and resurrected him from the dead. The Lazarus story is not just for Lazarus, it's for everybody. We're all spiritual sleepwalkers right now if we're you know, walking according to our own lusts. Uh, we're, we're all spiritually dead. Jesus said, let the mm. dead bury their dead because we're all spiritually sleeping. But the end of the story, you know, morning follows the night for a reason because morning is when the light comes. God is light and he is going to bring people to life when the, when the light returns. So mm. every, that's why we mentioned before, every sunrise that you see, that's the time when people generally wake up. That's promoting or, or projecting a picture of resurrection. God is all about death and resurrection. The Bible is from the beginning to the end is talking about people dying and people being raised from the dead. Even in the Old Testament, you see children being raised from the dead by the prophets and all that. Mm -hmm. Because the end of the story is resurrection. Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life in, uh, in the Gospels. So that's the conclusion of the matter. We have nothing to worry about because no matter how we die, whether it's in a nuclear war or you're dying in your, your own bed at night when you're 95 years old, you're going to be resurrected. Mm. That's, that's the good news. Mm. Awesome, love it. So Reaching God's Speed, people can get this at reachinggodspeed.com, it's as simple as that, right? Is that the best place to get it where you're- Well, minister? there's plenty of talking points at, at the website. So, you know, we're talking about just some highlights during the show here, but I have many, many talking points in the book uh, that you can look at and get an idea of what the book is about. Because, you know, the Bible is true on all levels, on the physical level and the spiritual level, but I'm trying to raise people's awareness to get them up to speed on how God teaches and thinks, to realize how God is present in everything. So you can get the book at reachinggodspeed.com. If you don't want to go there, you can go to Amazon or uh, you know, barnesandnoble.com or Books a Million or conservativereaders.com. It's being sold everywhere. So okay. I just, I, I want people to understand the Bible at an additional level, the higher level. And love it. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Let's do one more episode. Let's come back next week. Absolutely. All right. So you come back next week too. We'll see you next time on Shabbat Night Live for the concluding episode of Reaching God's Feed with Joe Kovacs. Until then, have a good week. Shavua Tov. See you then. <laughs>